Good morning. It's so grateful to be here with all of you. Thank you for being in the house today. I want to say a special welcome to all of you who are joining us online. You know that we love it when you stay connected uh, wherever you are. We're so grateful for that. And then obviously a special welcome to all of you who are here for the first time. We're so glad that you are part of the conversation. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at Eden, and I would love a chance to get to meet you. If we never have, we do have a gift for you. Uh, I would lower your expectations, okay? It's a good gift, uh, but it's not going to be life-changing. But we do want to give it to you as a thank you for being here this morning. Very grateful for that. And I did want to take a moment, given the fact that it is Veterans Day weekend, uh, do we have any veterans in the house this morning? If you would stand up, Chris in the back, Greg, awesome, Stephen, Tony, awesome, Joyce, yes, thank you all so much. Hey, one thing we know is that freedom isn't free, and there are a lot of people who had to sacrifice a lot to make sure that we have the liberties and the freedom in this country, and every year it's important that we make sure to take some time to honor those folks, so thank you guys for your service to this country. We're grateful for it. Um, I'm also excited. It was not fake news. If you heard that we were starting a brand new series this morning, it has actually happened, And if you're new to the conversation, for us, a series is just a collection of talks that we spread out over several weeks, and we focus on a theme, a topic, or a passage from Scripture, and then we try to do the hard work of applying it to our everyday lives. And uh, and what we have learned, the reason why that's such an important component to what we're doing is because we have learned that if you don't put the principle into practice, you don't experience the promise. And so we want to experience the promise of God's word, and part of the power in that is when we actually do it in our everyday lives. And so we're going to try to do that over the course of the next few weeks, and this one, this series is a little bit special. Uh, We're calling it For the Future, and if you've been a part of Eden for a while, you know that uh, we've done a series similar to this in the past. This is For the Future 2.0, and the series is all about us as a church stepping boldly into the new things that God is doing in this community, and, uh, and so it's going to be exciting. Uh, but today I do want to try to convince you that God is not done with us yet. And to do that, we're going to look at the Old Testament, which is also known as the Hebrew Bible, and we're going to be looking at one of God's prophets. His name was Isaiah, and uh, we're going to read a bit of encouragement from him. But what is important for us to understand as we read through some of this passage this morning is to understand a little bit of the context in which Isaiah was writing. He was writing at a uniquely tumultuous time in the history of his people. There was political conflict. There was disunity among the people. They were uh, living on the back end of a ravaged land because of war. Their kings were living in scandal. And part of why they were experiencing all that they were experiencing was because for a season of time, the people, the children of Israel were living in disobedience to God. And in the midst of one of the darkest seasons in the history of this land, God had a word of encouragement for them. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Isaiah chapter 43. He says, I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened up a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. And I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned and their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all of that because it's nothing compared to what I'm going to do for I'm about to do something new. From the beginning of this chapter, God was reminding the children of Israel of the nature of their relationship with him. He said, remember when I split the sea open for you. Remember when I destroyed enemy armies to preserve your life. Remember how I chose you 
and how I loved you and how I protected you. Do you remember all of these great things that I've done for you? And then look what he says in verse 18. He says, but forget all of it because it is nothing compared to what I'm about to do. I'm I'm about to do something new, which this is powerful because he is describing some of the greatest miracles that have defined the history and the culture of this people. And he says, as good as that was, it is nothing compared to what I'm about to do. In other words, he's saying, I'm not done with you yet. And I wonder how many of us need to be reminded that God, his heart for us is that same phrase. God is not done with you. Maybe some of you are getting older and you feel like maybe you don't have that pep in your step like you used to. And maybe some of you think that your best days are behind you. God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. There are some of you that have gone through a really difficult season, maybe over the last month or even the last few years. And you're not sure how you're going to get through it. God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. Maybe some of you have lost someone that is near and dear to your heart. And as a result of that, your life looks a lot different than it did not long ago. God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. That is the power of who we serve in this church. We serve a God that is ready and willing at any moment to do something new in your life, to completely change the trajectory of your life. As soon as we say, I learned this word recently in Spanish, tambien. All right. And as soon as we say me too, I'm ready. I used to have a pastor back in the day and he would use he tell us in a lot of his sermons. He would say, no matter how many steps, no matter how far you have gone from God, you're always only one prayer away. And whenever he would say that, it would like paint this picture in my mind. And I would think about someone walking along this old country road And they were just walking for miles and miles and miles in the opposite direction of God. And every mile represented a season of life where they were just wandering and wandering and kind of leaving God in the past of their life. And then I thought, if for just one moment, if this person had the inclination to begin a relationship with God, all they would have to do was just to turn their face back to God. And in an instance, God would be in their presence. That is the power of it. That is God's love for us is that whenever we are ready, he is ready to do a fresh work. And I don't know how you walked into church this morning. Many of us oftentimes don't walk in with a physical limp. We walk in with an emotional or spiritual limp. But if, you, if that reflects your life in this season, remember, God is not done with you yet. I love this passage because what's interesting about what Isaiah is saying is, is actually not only for those who have walked away from God for a season, but his words are actually motivation for those who have seen God work in their lives. I wonder if that's ever been your story, where like you can look back at the course of your life and you can identify all these really powerful times where God has worked in your life, but for whatever reason, you're in like a dry season and you kind of wonder, will God ever do those things again for me? Maybe you were new to faith, And for whatever reason, just every song on the radio was speaking to you. And it was such a sweet season of life and everywhere in your life, you could just see God at work and it was so special. But then somewhere along the way, you got busy or things happened and your spiritual life sort of dried up and you just wonder, God, will I ever experience that kind of connection with you again? There are some of you, maybe you saw God open up doors to your career when you got out of college And it just felt like every single part of your life was working out just like you thought it was. 
And then somewhere along the way, you made a decision. It got you off the path for a little bit. But that one season has turned into two seasons and two years and three years and four years. And you're just asking God, will you ever bring me back to that place that I was? Or maybe some of you, and this is maybe something we've all experienced at some season of life, but maybe the last city that you were in, you felt like you just had all the right relationships. You had all the right connections and you felt so tight in your community. And then you moved to a new city and you've been here for a while and you just don't feel like you have the connections that you did in your past city. And you wonder if God will do it again. If we can be honest with each other, most of us have asked God that question at some season of our life. And I'm going to be honest, all right? Sometimes I've asked that when it comes to church. Sometimes I need to be reminded that God is not done with this church. We're coming up on six years, and, uh, and that feels like crazy to me, right? Crazy that we've been a church for coming up on six years, and the only indication that that is actually an accurate reflection of the timeline is this increasingly, uh, this widespread patch of white hair on my head <laughs> continues to expand. But we've been through some challenging days in life as a church. I remember our first service, we had been preparing almost two years getting ready for the service, planning, getting people, organizing, finding location. And then the day before the service, we were supposed to receive a bunch of our equipment. And I know you're thinking, why did you wait till the day before? That's how it works, okay? <laughs> they give you the equipment, they train you how to use it, and then they're there with you during the first service. And so the company that we hired to do this brought one trailer full of equipment, but we ordered two trailers full of equipment. And so they got there too late, and when they finally got there, they didn't have a key to open up the lock on the trailer. And we were stressed out of our minds because on the flyer that we had just sent out to like 20,000 people, we said on the flyer, great kids experience. And when people showed up to church that day, they showed up to an empty room with a bunch of smiling volunteers who were doing the best they can to create a great kids experience. And I don't like to gossip, okay, from the platform. Uh, but sometimes you have to. You guys look at Mark here. He's a nice guy. You mild-mannered man thinks, you know, he ain't got no record. Mark, the first time that he drove trailers for this church, he was driving really fast. It was one of those times. Mark and I didn't know each other that well at the time. I was grabbing onto the handle of the door, and I thought, maybe he knows what he's doing. I was wrong, okay? He rolled over a curb, knocked over a, a street sign, caused a bunch of traffic. Then we got pulled over by a cop and they gave us a ticket. And Mark said, go ahead and send it to Westgate Church. <laughs> I'm lying about that last part. Everything else was true. I remember in the first month when we launched the church, we got this really discouraging letter from the city of Campbell. And they told us that because of the zoning issues, we could no longer meet at our location. We had to move. And there was really nothing we could do. And so uh, after we launched the church for a few weeks, we ended up moving locations. And just think, we spent about six months trying to let people know that we were at the first location. And then when we got to the second location, we were there for two weeks before the school asked us to move again. And so people were texting me, where are you guys on that third month? We were in three locations in the first three months of the life of our church. That is not a good church growth strategy. Okay, we told people that if you want to come to Eden, you're going to have to find us every week. Just drive around to all the schools in Campbell, and maybe we'll be there. But to be honest, like some of these moments were really discouraging because there is a season of time in the life of Eden where we didn't know if we were going to continue to exist. But in the middle of every single one of those discouraging moments, God 
had another moment where he said, I'm not done with you yet. And we just kept going back to the vision of this church, that we came here to start a church for people who consider church irrelevant, which represented about 95% of the people who lived in Santa Clara County. And he gave us a vision so heavy that it wasn't just us who moved out here, but we had a small group of people who moved from one of the cheapest places to live in California to the most expensive. And it was not only cheap, but there were a lot of churches. And we came to a place where there weren't any many, as many churches, given the nature of the population. And then during that time, somewhere along the way, God provided about 20 other churches all across America that said, we want to be a part of what God is doing in this city, and we want to help and be along with you on the journey till the end. And then we had a small group of people in the Bay Area who said, we are willing to do the hard work to lay the foundation of building a church in Silicon Valley. And they set up and they tore down for year after year after year. And we all did this, believing that God could use us to change lives. But to be honest, that wasn't happening a lot in the early days. And so we were telling stories of what God could do, but we weren't actually seeing it. And then... We started seeing people make decisions to begin following Jesus, and our team got fired up. And not only did we see people start making decisions to follow Jesus, but they began to radically orient their lives around the values of Christ. And it inspired us because we had a whole community of people that were watching others walk into a relationship with God in radical ways. And we started believing that we could actually make a difference in the city And I feel like these last few years, we have heard God say louder and louder than at any other point in the history of our church, I'm not done with you yet. By God's grace, we went into a global pandemic, and we came out stronger as a church. And that was in no small part because of the faith of a community that came before us. We were homeless for a while, okay? We got pandemic hit. We couldn't meet in the school. We started meeting in our house. We would love to show you some old footage, but we're too embarrassed to do that. And then we started meeting in a parking lot. And then we started meeting in a warehouse on the side of the church. And we got kicked out of every one of those relations. My wife kicked us out of the house. A a security guard kicked us out of the parking lot. And I won't say who kicked us out of the warehouse, but we got kicked out. And so we we showed up desperate to to the doors of this church. And we knocked on, begging like a kid looking for a little bit more soup on a hungry day. And we said, is there any, do you have any room, any room to let us film services in this space? And they said, absolutely. And they opened up the doors of their church to us, and they were so gracious. And for 18 months, we got to know this community. We spent time with them, and we realized over that time that we had so many shared values, so much of a shared vision for what we want to see God do in this area. And we prayed, and we sensed God leading us to bring these two churches under one vision. And this morning, we haven't done this before, but I want to take a moment to acknowledge those people who acted so generously to us when we were Uh, in a desperate situation. So I'm going to ask those of you who are part of True Hope Community Church, would you take a stand this moment? Go go ahead and stand up so that we can take a little bit of time. Greg in the back there. And you you can stay standing for just a second because I want to say a few things. We are thriving today as a church because these people cared more about the mission of God than their personal preferences. We're thriving as a church today because they cared more about partnership than ownership. We are thriving as a church today because they made changes to accommodate our community so that this church could continue to live in the legacy that was the heart of the group of people that founded it almost 60 years ago to continue to be a beacon of hope and light in this area. So thank you guys for what you've done.
God said he's not done with us yet. And all of you in this community have been so faithful to steward what God has put in our care. Since we've been on this property, we've had no less than seven cleanup days. We've had three huge paint days. We remodeled the foyer, painted the auditorium. Uh, We put together countless amounts of furniture. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who have labored over a bunch of target uh, directions, which probably brought you to the brink of your faith. And I'm so grateful for what you've done. We've given away so many pianos and we've unpacked the children's toys and tables and chairs, and we remodeled those kids' space three times over, and you all have just continued to be so faithful. And every ounce of faith that it took to prepare this property for ministry, God has taken that faith, and he has multiplied it for more. Last year, when we were getting some of the office space ready for our kids, we cleared out two office spaces. One was a big one for our elementary kids, and then another one was just a little bit bigger than a closet. And, uh, and we stuck our kids in there, and it was great because we all pitched in. We painted and got stuff done. It was wonderful. But what we saw happen is that kids' ministry just started to blow up. We had a bunch of COVID babies coming, all right? None of us had anything good to do during COVID, so we all started making babies. And that ministry expanded. And so what we did is we went right across the hall, and we opened up the bigger room. And we furnished that, and we took care of that, and then pretty soon, that room started getting packed out, and so in those office spaces, we were maxing out our kids' space when we had about 20 kids in that ministry. It was chaotic, chaotic, and then we gave, and we sacrificed, and last week, we had 43 kids on our campus in kids' ministry. Last year, we said that we needed to make a few property improvements, And so many of you sacrificed toward that end. Last year, we were averaging about 130 people in our services. This year, we're averaging about 230 people. Last year, we had about 20 people participate in what we call our Eden 200. This year, we've had 135 people participate in our most challenging discipleship program. This past year, we pulled together resources to help sponsor six churches, six new church plants that we're launching in some of the most challenging places to start. Today, those six churches have a combined attendance of over 800 people. And each of those churches have been committed to doing generous work in their community. Do you realize that when you say yes to sacrifice, lives are being changed? This year, we've seen so many stories of life transformation because you said yes to leading a group, because you said yes to setting up Sunday service because you said yes to getting the coffee ready and playing in the band and teaching our kids about Jesus. Every yes that someone lays on the table is a brick that God is using to build the kingdom in the Bay Area. In 2022, God said, I'm not done with Eden Church yet. And I'll be the first to admit that when we decided to plant the church, we actually had no idea what we were doing. But I think God kind of designs it that way. Because if we did know what he wanted us to do on the front end, I don't know that we would ever do it in the first place. But one of the things that we have learned along the journey, as God has continued to grow and shape this church and develop us, is that every year it requires a recommitment to say, God, I still believe. I still believe that you want to do a fresh work in and through this community. And every year we have a series that's called For the Future, and this is tied to what we call our end-of-the-year impact offering. And every year, this is a chance for us to say, God, we really want to see you do a fresh work. 
Because we are living in a generation that is drifting further and further away from a relationship with God. Did you know that one million people next year will leave the church? 86% of kids who go to college with faith will lose their faith. And unless the people of God come together and we say, God, I want to see you do a fresh work, those trends probably won't stop the trajectory that they're on. So the question is, do we believe that God wants to do something new? And do we believe enough that we are willing to sacrifice for it? John Tyson, who's the pastor of the church, of church on, of the city in New York, said that the church advances not by the public gifts of a few people, but by the sacrificial commitment of the majority of the people. And honestly, that has been the testimony of this church since day one. And over the last few years, we have been building into the rhythm of this church an opportunity for sacrificial generosity. And every year we do a series on generosity and stewardship with our resources. And this church teaches faithfully and uh, without uh, uh, compromise. We, we teach a 10% tithe because that's what we, te- we see in Scripture. We believe that we give back a portion of what God has given to us. And we always say that it's better to give than receive. Actually, that's not us saying. It's Scripture that says it. And we teach that it is better to give our first fruits to God. We give him our first and our best. We don't give him our leftovers. And we say that it's better to live off of 90% of our income if it's blessed by God than 100% if it's only blessed by us. But we also talk about giving above and beyond, which is also part of the pattern of the New Testament church. It's called sacrificial living. And every year when we step into this campaign, it gets a little awkward. And we start talking about money at church, you start tightening up a little bit. And we get that because people have had bad experiences. And sometimes people question our motivation. And we get that. But on the back end, what we also experience is this weird spiritual phenomenon where our giving becomes a seed of faith that God uses to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And every year we have to ask ourselves if we still believe in the vision enough that we are willing to sacrifice for it. One of my greatest fears when it comes to our church, when we think about the longevity of who will become in the days ahead, is that at some point we would become complacent with where we're at. Someone said that the greatest danger to future success is past success. Why? Because you get comfortable. You tell yourself that you've arrived. And so you get comfortable and you get complacent. And you might think that that is not the worst word to describe a church But we look at the book of Revelation in chapter 3, we see that God condemns one of the churches in Sardis because they had become complacent. At one point, they were growing and thriving, and they lived with vision, but somewhere along the way, they lost their passion, and in so doing, they became irrelevant to the mission of God. I don't want us to become complacent. I don't want us to ever think, oh, we've done enough. Let's just serve ourselves and forget all of those people all around us who are suffering and hurting and in desperate need of a relationship with God. I love thinking about this property. I love it because I think we will never get to meet all the people who invested their money 60 years ago to buy this land. We will never get to meet all the people who showed up after work and on the weekends to build the first buildings of this property. We will never get to hear all the stories of the vision that compelled these people to sacrifice so much 
But 60 years ago, there was a group of people that decided they were going to invest their resources that would last beyond their own generation, that would last beyond their own lifetime. And they could have never imagined 60 years ago that what they sacrificed then would be such a blessing to us today. Kate King, who was one of the ladies that stood up not long ago, she has been at this church for about 60 years now. Her and her husband moved to the area about 60 years ago, and I had a chance to talk to her, and she was telling me stories about the church, and it was wonderful. But one of the things that stuck out to me, stood out to me about what she said about the church, she kind of described the personality of it. She says, we were not a wealthy church, but we were a faithful church. We were a faithful church. Someone told me not long ago that if you have the choice to go to a funeral or a wedding, choose the funeral. They said a wedding, you go and you have fun for a few hours and it'll be a good memory. But when you go to a funeral, it has the power to change you forever. Because for some reason, when you're in that environment and you're thinking about how someone ran the race of life, it has the ability to remind you of what really matters most in life. And in that moment, it sort of recalibrates your heart and your mind around all the habits that you're worried about and all the things that you are concerned about. And you realize all the things that you are carrying a weight on at the end really don't matter. All the things that you're trying to achieve and accomplish and all the things that you're trying to get really don't matter. Because you can't take a new house with you into heaven. And you can't take a nice car with you. And you can't take all those trophies that you have earned over the course of your life. And you realize the only thing that really matters are the things that last into eternity. And I can't imagine that there's one person who was part of this church 60 years ago that decided they were going to invest in a property that would be a blessing for futures to come, for generations to come, wishing, oh, I wish I would have spent those resources on uh, that new, those new pair of sneakers. I think today they're celebrating in heaven the fact that they put their resources in the place that moth and rust can't destroy. C.T. Studd, who was a missionary to China, said, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And so what I want to ask today is would you prayerfully consider giving up now what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose? Would you consider this year being a part of this end of the year and impact initiative that allows for us to make an eternal difference in the lives of people all around us? And so we have two goals. We have two goals that we want you to pray about. The first goal is we are praying for 100% participation from every household in our church. This is not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. And what we have learned is that when our church gives, we grow, not just numerically, but in faith. And we want everyone next year to be able to say, I did my part as we are watching people get baptized and as we're watching kids come to faith in Jesus and we're watching our youth ministry grow. We want every single person in this house, in this church to be able to say, I was part of that. I invested in something now with resources that I can't take into eternity but are going to outlast me in my lifetime. And to the best of our ability, we are estimating that Eden Church, we probably have about 100 households in this community. 
Number two, we've set a goal of raising $200,000 to go to these resources. And this money will go to fund and resource all of our outreach and compassion ministries. And if you look in your booklet, kind of flip through it, you'll have a chance to see all of the organizations that we were able to partner with. Last year, we gave $60,000 to church planting. We gave $20,000 to under-resourced families within this community. We gave another $20,000 to partner with churches in our community beyond the walls of our church. One of the prayers that we had in the early stages of of our church plant is that we would be a ridiculously generous church. And when we became self-sufficient, we took that to a whole new level and we said, we're not messing around. If we're gonna be here, we're gonna be funding and we're gonna be doing good work in our community. Another bit of that money will go toward next-gen ministries in our church. We have a greater burden than we've ever had before to really make sure that we're doing our part as a community to make sure we're raising up kids who know and love Jesus and have every bit of resource they need to be supported on their journey of faith. And then we're gonna, another portion of that is gonna go toward maximizing this property. Okay, this is a phenomenon we've seen over and over again. When we fix up a space on this property, God fills it with more ministry. And so we're gonna keep doing that. Someone asked me the other day, If someone were to approach you after service and they were going to hand you a $200,000 check, would you end the campaign? And the answer is no. Why? Because churches always need more money. Okay? But more importantly, we've set that figure not because it is the most significant thing, but it really is to show some of you, because I think that's important for some of us, that we have a plan for how we're going to leverage those resources to better and more effectively reach our city. But the goal is not the money. The goal is that we continue to develop a culture of sacrificial generosity in this church because money can be spent in a few days. But when we live sacrificial lives, it lasts into eternity, and that's what we're about. I want to say a few things about giving. If you feel nervous, it is normal. The only thing in Scripture God ever told, him, told us to test him on was money. And he said if we were faithful to give, he would unleash the gates of the storehouse of blessing upon our life. You cannot outgive God. And some of you are crazy and have tested that a lot through this church. There are many people in this community who could have a bigger house if they wanted to. And there are many people in this church who could have nicer cars, but they don't. They could have gone on those better vacations, but they didn't because they chose to invest their resources in this church so that they could make a difference. Number two, if you're suspicious, I want to challenge you to trust in the promise that it really is better to give than to receive, to take a step of faith in this area of your life and see what God does with your heart. It becomes this journey that's addicting because when you dig deep, you see that God blesses you. And I'm not talking about financial blessing but it begins to change your heart at the deepest level. And number three, if it feels like a burden, this may not be for you. Scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves when someone gives out of the overflow of their heart. And we never want people in this community to ever give with a burden. You can hear me say that right now. If it is a burden to you, do not give. Because God wants to bless a cheerful heart. But all I know is that we are here today because someone gave before us. 
I'm in a relationship with God today because someone thought it was important enough to buy some chairs at this old church in downtown San Jose so that a little punk kid can show up and mess around during service, but one of those services actually hear what the pastor was saying and be impacted by that message. And maybe it's our turn. Maybe it's our turn to stop just thinking about our generation, but we think about the future. And we do for others what has been done for us. There have been little old ladies in a small little town in East Texas who lives in a disheveled old home that has given resources so that we could start this church. There have been these old tired little churches that have broken roofs in a leaky faucet in their bathroom. And instead of fixing their problems, they invested in this community so that we could make a difference for generations to come. It's our turn. It's our turn to say we still believe enough in the vision that we're willing to sacrifice for it. God is not done with this church yet. And he told us that in the greatest way when God could have distanced us for all eternity, but he sent his son to die on that cross and to come into this world and to give us a message of hope, reminding us that we didn't have to live in our sin. We didn't have to live in our brokenness. We didn't have to wake up every morning feeling shame and guilt because of decisions that we've made in the past, but that we could actually experience a brand new life in him. Not life that is determined by our behaviors, but life that is determined because we can experience a brand new, redeemed, restored heart on the inside out. Jesus did that for us. And this morning, there are some of you that have come in broken and hurting and distant from God. And I want to remind you that he is not done with you yet. And if today you want to begin a relationship with him, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And today, if you're looking for something, if you've tried everything else, the job and the relationships and the money, and you still go to bed empty at night. I promise you didn't get here. You didn't show up to this church by accident. God is drawing you here. And he wanted to remind you of how much he loves you, and not just how much he loves you, but how much the community of faith wants to guide and direct you and be a part of your journey. This morning, if you want to begin a relationship with God, you can pray this simple prayer after me in your heart. Dear God, Thank you. Thank you for loving me when I wanted nothing to do with you. Thank you for reminding me of the depth of your love. Today I'm ready. I'm ready to step out of my old life and into a new relationship with you. I'm ready to trust that you can do more with my heart than I can. Today I receive the gift of salvation. I pray that you would wash me clean. God, that you would forgive me of my past and that you would give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, I believe. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And I'm going to ask those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart to take one more step of faith. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment on the count of three. 
And the reason we do this is because we know that when, when we respond to God physically, when he's doing something spiritually, it solidifies something in our hearts. And this morning, I want, I want this to be a day for us to remember that God's not done with us. He's got something for us. So if you prayed that prayer in your heart, on the count of three, go ahead and raise your hand. One, you didn't end up here by accident. Two, you are so loved by God. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. I see you. 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 Any others? Any others this morning? If you're tuning in online, I want to encourage you, go ahead and press the button at the bottom of the screen. We have a group of people that love to help get you some resources on how you can grow in your relationship with God. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in this place. We thank you that you've been so faithful for us, to us in the past, but God, we know you've got more for us. And this is the community of people that you've chosen in this season to take a stand in our city and say, we're going to continue to be a light. We're going to continue to offer hope. And we're going to continue to trust, God, that you have more in store for this community. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all do me a favor this morning and celebrate every life who stepped into faith today? Love you guys.